Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So one quick final announcement Brady didn't mention, um, but next weekend... Uh, next Saturday from 11.30 to 1 o'clock, we have a special members event. Um, if you were a member here at Northgate, um, even if you just took the membership class last week, if you turned in your card, um, we want all of our members. It's a very important gathering. Uh, we're going to be spending some time. We're going to have lunch together. Uh, we're going to be talking about where we're at and, and where we're headed in the next months and then in the years ahead. Um, and um, weather permitting, uh, a little bit of a sneak peek of what's going on inside that new construction over there. So if you are a member, we are strongly encourage you. We really want you to be here for that from 1130 to 1 o'clock. Child care is going to be provided for children three and under. Um, if you've got children older than that and you bring them along, they're going to be your responsibility. Okay, so I just want to encourage you with that. Um, and, and if you took the membership class but have not yet turned in your card and turned in your information... Please do that today. Do that this weekend. If you forgot, if you left it at home, um, we've got extras at the help desk. So stop by there, pick it out, fill it out, and drop it in because we want to get you in on this event. And if you haven't taken the membership class, if you're interested in membership, um, we offer the membership class about every other month or so, every eight to six, six to eight weeks. And so if you're interested in that, use your connection card, let us know, and we will keep you posted on our next membership class. All right? So all of that, that's what's coming up. So please take care of that. Now, we are um, in this series. We're actually getting close to the end of this series that we've called Be the Church. And it's really a study through the book of Ephesians in the New Testament, which really is just simply a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in a city called Ephesus. And the gist of the letter is what it means now that you are now identified in Christ and what it means to be a part of this larger gathering, the church, and what it means as a church to be the church. Hence, the title of the series, Be the Church, okay? Um, And one of the great, great truths that comes out throughout this whole letter, the big theme through it is that what Christ did on the cross there was, a, there was both a vertical and a horizontal purpose to what he did on the cross. That on the cross, by his death, what he did was he reconciled us with God and transformed our relationship, this vertical relationship between us and God. But along with that, also to reconcile us with one another. And that the church is the expression of that reconciliation process, both helping people discover their relationship with God, but also transforming our relationships with one another. And you really can't have one without the other. That's what Jesus said, the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That both are essential, and you really can't do one without the other. You can't have a relationship with God and hate your brother. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. In fact, in fact, your human relationships, my human relationships, say much more about the depth of God's work in my life and in your life than anything else. And you really can't have the depth of relationship with one another without the foundation of our relationship with God. And that, that's what comes throughout this whole letter. So that's what it means to be the church, being in right relationship with God, but being in right relationship with each other and with our community. And so as we've been going through this, we've been looking at what it means to be the church, to be gracious, to be loving, to be serving, to be bold, but, but also to be humble and, and all of these different things. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at another aspect of what it means to be the church. And it has to to do with our personal relationships with one another. And what we're going to do is we're going to address an issue that affects each and every one of us. 
It impacts not only your own life, but it impacts every single relationship that you have. And it's something that every one of us struggle with. It is an issue that, that affects every one of us. It is the issue um, that Anley Stanley calls it's the one thing that keeps you from and causes you to. It's the thing that keeps you from celebrating other people's successes. It's the thing that keeps you from admitting your mistakes. It's the thing that keeps you from asking for help. It's the thing that keeps you from apologizing when you know you were wrong. It's the, thing, it's the thing that keeps you from admitting that you don't know what you're talking about, even though everybody else in the room knows you don't know what you're talking about, okay? It, it, that's what this thing is. It's the thing that causes you to cheat rather than suffer a loss, okay? It's the thing that, that inside of you takes a little bit of pleasure at somebody else's failures. It's the thing that causes you to embellish your own accomplishments and kind of cover up and hide your mistakes and your faults and your failures. Anybody want to guess what we're going to be talking about today? Pride. Exactly. You picked up on a smart audience. Okay. Yeah. Pride. Pride is the thing. The interesting thing about pride is it that holds the promise of making you better than you really are. But what it really does is it diminishes you and keeps you from becoming who you were really intended to be. There's a strange dichotomy with it, and and it will impact every single relationship that you have. I have seen pride kill marriages, destroy families, poison workplace environments. It it just infects all of us, and it affects everyone around us. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about this problem of pride. Not so much talking about pride as what's the solution to it, And the solution to it is the opposite of pride, humility, about being humble. And the section that we're going to look at in Paul's letter here, I kind of need to step back for a little bit because it really, it's it's been so misunderstood and misapplied and even abused in many cases. Um, And it's because we don't understand the historical context of it. We we read it sometimes and it just just rankles us or we, we explain away all kinds of things. And the biggest reason for that is we don't understand the historical context. So before we kind of get into it, I want to stop for a little bit and just kind of bring you up to speed as to the background for all this. And it's going to take, I need you to just kind of hang with me for a little bit, okay? Okay, I need you to hang with me for a little bit, okay? All right, okay. So here's what you need to understand because we read this section through 21st century thinking. You got to think first century thinking because that's the audience that Paul originally wrote this to. And first century culture was highly, highly patriarchal, which meant if you were a man, you lived large. (laughs) And in fact, if you were an old man, you, you were the top dog in the whole society. And, and that women and children and servants were, were really considered more as property than they were as people. Consequently, they were treated more like property than they were like people. And that's the context that Paul writes these words to. And if you don't understand that, his words just seem so, so confining and so restrictive. But what they really are is liberating. So with that in mind, I want you to follow along with me. We're going to read from Ephesians chapter 5. And this is what he wrote, beginning in verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands, your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. 
Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does for the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And this is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, so that it may go well with you and you may live and enjoy a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Paul's saying the best antidote to this problem of pride is humility. And that does not come naturally. There are very deliberate decisions that you need to take. There are very deliberate practices that you need to incorporate to to combat this problem of pride that we all have and to live with humility. And so what we're going to do today is is rather than kind of ranting on the problem of pride, I want to give you some very practical um, things, practices that you can employ wherever you are at to, to develop this thing called humility. All right, so that's what we're going to look at. And, and with this, by the way, we're going to look at three specific types of relationships, husband and wife relationships, uh, parent and child relationships, and employer to employee or boss to employee relationships, okay? Because there's some principles that, that you can take out of first century, okay, and bring it into the 21st century, and, and we're going to make that application today. So even though we're going to be looking at three different specific types of relationships, the supracultural, isn't that a fancy word, supra cultural principles are, 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 the, are the basics that we can use and apply it to our lives. So first one I want to start with is this. Leverage your strengths for someone else's benefit. Okay, this has to do with your sphere of influence. Any place in your life where you have any amount of authority or, or power um, or influence or prestige or status um, whatever it might be, you might be, you might be a, 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 a com- an owner of a company and you've got employees and you're in a position of authority because of that. Um, you might be a teacher in the school and, and you've got students and, you in, and you're in a position of authority. Um, it, it might be that, that you're just really, really wealthy. You've got a lot of money and with that wealth comes a certain amount of power and, and influence. It might be that you're, you're brilliant and when you're, you're in the job and there's staff meetings or, or problem-solving kind of meetings, everybody looks to you because you seem to always have the best ideas or the right ideas, okay? Whatever it might be, every one of us in this room at some way or some shape or form have some 
sphere of influence or authority or power. It might even be something as simple as birth orders, okay? If you were a firstborn, there's a certain prestige that comes with. Any other firstborns? Here? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm a firstborn. Now, when we gather together Thanksgiving meal, even though we're all adults, I'm the firstborn. I have my position at the Thanksgiving table. It's the same one I had as a kid. Okay. Um, there's just something that comes with that, and 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 that might be it. It might be. It might be here. Here's here's you probably never even thought about this one. If you've ever gone out to a restaurant for a meal, that has put you in some position of authority. Because there are people who are waiting on you. People who are serving you. Now, let me ask you, how do you treat the people that serve you when you go out to a restaurant? Because really, you're kind of in a position. There's actually a couple. He he has changed, thankfully. But the husband was one of those guys. He always found something wrong with the meal. Either it was the service was bad or the meal. He would send back meals because it wasn't exactly right the way that he wanted it. It was like, I never wanted to go out to to dinner with them anymore. It's because they used that little bit of authority to just kind of put down somebody else. Here's a really good question. How well do you tip? I was at a pastor's conference years and years ago, and they had to say from the front for all of these pastors who were attending, hey, when you go out and you attend and you have dinner tonight or you have lunch this afternoon, tip well, okay? Um, when you go back to your hotel room tonight or you get up in the morning and you see the, the, the maid service coming through, say hi, treat them like people. Now, you would think you wouldn't have to tell pastors to do that kind of a thing. But you see, it's, it's, not, it's just realizing your sphere of influence. Now, what Paul does is he uses the example of husbands and wives. And he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Now, that word submit is not a fun word. Okay? We, we bristle at that. And, and for years, I'll tell you, this passage, I think, has been mistaught, misunderstood, misapplied, and even abused and very, very, very often, um, my experience growing up in the church, um, when this passage was taught, it was always like there was this chain of command. The husband is over the wife. The wife is over the kids. Kids are over the dog. The dog's over the cat. And the cat's over the hamster and on down the line, you know, however far you want to take it. That is not what Paul is writing about here. In fact, in fact, the word submit, wives submit to yourselves, to your own husbands, that word in the original Greek writing the original manuscript, the word submit is not in that sentence. It's actually in the sentence before. That's why I included it here. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What he's talking about is a mutual submission. That in a marriage relationship, it's not a chain of command. It is a mutual submission. It's putting your own rights, your own self-interest beneath those of your spouse. Wives to your husbands as to the Lord. He's talking about trust. And relying on your husband. But, but really what he does is he makes it a lot tougher on the husbands. He goes on. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. See, what Jesus did when he came was he turned the order, this, this whole order of, of power the power structure of the world, he turned it upside down. Do you remember when his disciples, there was a, an occasion where his disciples were kind of arguing about who was the greatest among them. 
And Jesus said to them, what are you guys talking about? And they were kind of sheepishly trying to get around it. And eventually they said, you know, told them what they were arguing about. He said, hey, you want to know who the greatest is? The greatest among you is going to be your servant. The power structures of this world are completely reversed than the power structures of the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, the greatest is the one who serves. So he puts what traditionally for them would be the person who has all the power and the one who is in charge. He says, listen, you want to show how great you are? You serve your wife. You care for her. In fact, it's talking about a self-sacrificial love, that you give up your privileges, you give up your rights, you give up all the benefits and prestige that comes to you because of your standing here, and you turn that around and you use that for the benefit of your wife. That's your responsibility. For her benefit. Not just giving up your benefit, but using it for hers. To present her to himself, he said, Christ did this. To present us a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. To make her, the church, the best that she could be. Husbands, that's your job. Your wife becomes the best she can be. That's humility. Second one, take responsibility without pulling rank uses another kind of a top-down power structure uh, relationship, the parent to a child. And particularly, again, he addresses the one who is in charge. He talks to fathers. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, notice, by the way, he doesn't say, children, do not exasperate your parents. Because that's an impossibility. That's going to happen, okay? Um, But what he's saying to the fathers, what he's saying to parents is, listen, you're the adult here. You got a responsibility. Make sure that you don't abuse your position. The answer to the question why should never be because I said so. Okay, just kind of eliminate that one from your vocabulary. Find an alternative like, well, because in our home, this is the way we do things or something along those lines. It shouldn't just be pulling rank and say, because I'm the boss and I'm the dad and you're going to obey me because I said so. No, 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 no. You got a responsibility, but don't don't pull rank. Your job is to train and instruct your children in the ways of the Lord. And you do that by setting an example of humility. Children need to live in a secure love. Yes, they are going to annoy you. They're going to upset you. They're going to frustrate you and exasperate you and, and embarrass you. But they need to know... They need to know that that does not disqualify them from your love. So let me ask you, parents, what does your parenting look like? Are there more compliments than criticisms? Do you encourage or do you tend to demand? Now listen, don't just use that as a position of authority. Use it for their benefit. And take your responsibility. Another top-down relationship is the boss to an employee. Now, again, let me. This needs more explanation because this section has been used to um, 
to justify slavery in the United States. Slavery in the 19th century United States was far, far different thing than first century slavery. Slavery in the first century primarily was kind of a form of bankruptcy. If someone got indebted to somebody and had no means of repaying the debt, what they could do is they could liquidate all of their assets, and if that was not enough, they could indenture themselves to someone else as a servant and work for that person to pay off the debt, basically working off their debt. And they could buy their way out of their slavery, okay? Very, very different than what we experienced in the United States in the 19th uh, century. Um, sometimes, even in extreme cases, if someone was, in this, it was extremely destitute, had no way of bettering themselves, they could also hire themselves as a servant to someone else to improve their lot in life. That was primarily slavery in the first century. Yes, there were some times that there were slaves who were victims of, of you know, battle and losing the war and being indentured that way. But, but primarily, it was more of an economic setting. Okay, so, so it wasn't like employment today, okay? but it wasn't like slavery in the 19th century here. It was a very, very different thing. And the best application would be to us today is if you were a boss, if you were a supervisor, if you were a foreman, um, if you were a CEO, is that you take responsibility and you care for those who are under you. Masters, he says, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them. Don't wield the hammer, okay? Don't hold the loss of job over them. Uh, uh, don't, don't, don't pull rank, in other words, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. What he's stressing is equality. That the person who is your servant is still a person. And you were to treat them with respect and treat them not as your property, but as a person. There's a, a program on, I, I think it's still on the air, it's called Undercover Boss. Anybody watch that? Okay, if you've never watched this program, it's usually someone, uh, it's actually someone who's like a head of a large, large corporation, okay? Um, who's, you know, you know, either national or international corporation. And what they do is they go undercover. They, um, they put on some kind of a disguise and they go to work at the grunt level in their corporation, either like in the warehouse or a loading dock or, or maybe in the factory or something like that. And they've got to do things. And the idea is for someone who is on the top to come down and experience life on the level of their lowest rung employees so that they get a taste of what it looks like. And usually it's transformational for the CEO. It also often works out for the benefit of the person that they work with at that bottom rung. But I think that's kind of the idea that Paul is getting at here. Don't think of your position as, hey, I'm the boss, and what I say goes, and you're going to do it, and hey, if you don't, then you're out of here. No, you treat your employees like people, and you care about them as individuals. That's your responsibility. Now, the last one is kind of for those on the other side of that equation. And it's this, give your best without the need for recognition. Because see, this whole idea of, of, of um, humility is, is mutual. Yeah, he does a lot more talking to those who are in the positions of power and authority. But also for those who you might feel you're like on the bottom rung of the whole deal. There's some things about humility that you need to learn. Because sometimes, you know, sometimes you say, well, you know. It's just a job, and you know, hey, if they're going to treat me that way, okay, well, I'm not going to give my best for this company. He said, no, no, no. If you're on the bottom rung, 
you've still got some responsibilities. To children, he said, you still need to learn humility. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Now, notice he doesn't say, obey your parents because they'll give you a treat. Okay? Or, obey your parents because then they'll take you to Disneyland. He said, no, no, you just you obey your parents because that's the right thing to do. And the same thing with employees. You simply, our highest attitude should be, do what is right. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. What he's saying is that your work, just like every other aspect of your life, is meant to be an act of worship. That your whole life is an act of worship. And so... If you are a laborer, you give it your best. If you are a teacher, you give it your best. If you've been passed over for that promotion, you still give it your best. If you are a student and you got no rights, you still give it your best. See, wherever you're at, you give it your best. Not, not just for the benefit of the person that you're serving, but because it's an act of worship. I think... I think anyone who is a Christ follower ought to be the best employee they can possibly be. Because your life is an act of worship. Your work is an act of worship. Your abilities, your skills, all of those things that God has gifted you with, you are to use them to make this place just a little bit better. To make your work environment just a little bit better. See, that's what it means to live to the audience of one that we've talked about. He says, do this not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. It comes down to attitude and motivation. The first summer I worked for my dad, my dad was a building contractor. And so I started working for him when I was in high school and all through college as well, all through all those summers and, and whenever I could. And, and when you start in construction and you're the boss's son, particularly, you get the worst jobs, okay? My job pretty much the whole first summer that I worked for my dad was digging ditches <laughs> for foundations or cleaning up the job site or nailing off subfloor, something like that, some menial task. And, and you know, when you're doing a menial task, there's not a whole lot of motivation to it, you know, and you just like, and the thing about my, my dad, I don't know if he realized it, but his truck had squeaky brakes. And so when my dad would pull up on the job site and there was two of us that were kind of the, 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 well, we weren't even apprentices. We were just kind of like the, the schleppers. Okay. But when, when the squeaky brakes pulled up on the job, it was like, okay, look busy, you know, look like you're working hard, you know, because the boss is here, the boss is around. Okay, Paul's saying, listen, that should not be your motive. Squeaky brakes should not be your motivation for doing work and working hard. Okay? You should be doing it because it's an act of worship. You should be giving it your best because it's really God that you're serving. What he's saying really in all of these things is in every relationship that you have, there is a third party involved. There's you, there's the other person, and there's God. And whether it's in your family, in your marriage, in your neighborhood, the workplace, there is always a third person in every relationship. And we need to be conscious of that. And that will move us to this humility and get rid of the pride. Now, I know. I know because you're human, just like me. And I know as you read things like this or you hear talks like this, you say it in your mind, yeah, that's great in theory. 
right? That's great in theory, but, but, and there's, there's the but. It's great in theory, but you don't know my boss. <laughs> That's great in theory, but you don't know my employees. You don't know my wife. You don't know my husband. You don't know my kids. You don't know my parents, okay? We have all these excuses why it doesn't work. So here's my argument to all of that. When you think, okay, if I do that, if I really take that path of humility, it's really not going to work. Let me ask you this question. How is that pride thing working out in your relationships? How is that pride thing working out for you in your marriage? How is that pride thing working out in your family? How's that pride thing working out on your job? See, what if, what if Jesus really knew what he was talking about when he said, do for others as you would have them do for you? What if he really knew what he was talking about when he said, love one another just as I have loved you? Because you see, if you think about it, humility is really a tangible expression of love. When you put someone else ahead of yourself, that is an act of love. So what if Jesus really did know what he's talking about? What if Paul really did know what he was writing about when he said, submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ? What if, what if it really does work? Imagine the impact it could have on your marriage, on your family, and your job site. What if? What if it really does work? Would you bow your heads with me? The truth is, that every step we take towards God involves humility. We admit our weaknesses and our inadequacies. And as we ask, he gives us his strength. We admit our needs to him and ask. And what he does is he rewards us with his provision. We admit our failures, our mistakes, and our sin he forgives see humility is absolutely essential to every relationship and especially in our relationship to God that's why scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble why because the humble are willing to admit they need it the humble are those who are willing to ask for the help so here's how I'd kind of like to wrap things up this part of our service is just simply, and we try to do this every week for you in your situation. Is there a relationship in your life? Maybe your marriage, maybe your family, maybe the workplace, whatever it might be. But is there a relationship in your life that is suffering because of your pride? And would you this morning be willing to be honest enough about it and humble enough about it to say, I want it to change? I'm willing to admit. My pride is getting in the way. And this is probably the hardest thing I will ever do. But I want to admit it before God. And I need him to change me from the inside out. If there is any way in which your pride is ruining any relationship in your life, any situation in your life, and you know it needs to change, and you would like to take a first step in that direction down that path of humility 
I, I will pray with you and pray for you today because I know this is probably going to be one of the hardest steps you make. But if you're willing to do that, would you just raise your hand and hold it up for a moment so I can see it and pray for you? Yeah, 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 yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I may be here today, and for you, it's a first step of, of surrender. And it starts with God. And it's just simply saying, God, I've been doing things my own way and living for myself, and really at the root of all of that is my pride. And what I want is a relationship with you. So today, I'm taking a first step of surrender, first step of faith, and I'm just saying simply, God, here's my faults, here's my failures, here's my sin. Would you, by your grace, forgive me? And would you, by your Holy Spirit, come in and change my life? I am letting go of the controls. I am surrendering my life to you. I can't change myself, but I need you to change me. If that's for you as a first step of faith, same thing. Would you just raise your hand and hold it up? Maybe you already raised your hand, but for you're indicating this is a first step for me. Anybody? All right. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you to just make this your prayer. Lord, you know me. You know my pride. You know how it gets in the way. You know how it's ruined and affected my relationships, my marriage, my family, my coworkers, my boss my employees. Most of all, it's affected my relationship with you. And I can't change that about myself. But today, I'm choosing to take a step in that direction. Would you, by your Holy Spirit, change me? Forgive me, renew me, restore me. By your grace, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.